Welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace, again here with Freya Spence, and today we welcome to the show Leo Ryan. Leo is a health performance and breathing specialist. He is the founder of Innate Strength in Ireland and has studied athletic training, health, and breathing since healing himself of asthma in 2004. After graduating with a Master of Science from University College Dublin, Leo continued his education internationally and has since attained multiple diplomas and certificates from personal training, physical therapy, and breathing schools, including the Bateco Method, Wim Hof Instructor, Oxygen Advantage Master Instructor, Fascial Stretch Therapist, Strength and Conditioning Specialist, and Pilates Teacher. Leo's love and experience for health and physical performance has seen him research more than 50 breathing techniques and mentor with both coaches, Olympians, UFC fighters, and world champions. Leo, we are pumped to have you here. Welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast. Woohoo! <laughs> Thanks for having me, Dan. Thanks, Ray. Yeah. Good to see you again. All yes. the way from Ireland. All the way from Ireland. But that's no, I, I was over in Toronto for a good while, so uh, for a couple of years. So that's where, we, where I first met you, Freya. But yeah, uh, yeah I, moved, I moved all the way back home probably a lot nicer over there. <laughs> so Leo, breathwork is an increasingly popular thing these days, and there are a lot of methods out there. More and more people are getting into it. But as with anything that people start to draw attention to, there comes a lot of confusion in terms of various techniques, when to use them, who they're for, and so on. And we're hoping to have you on today in order to clarify some of that for our listeners due to your wealth of experience. Can you outline some of the main techniques such as Wim Hof or Buteco or Oxygen Advantage, like the ones that people are a little more familiar with, or even some of the yoga techniques before we delve into um, some of the ins and outs that you've experienced. Cool. Um, let, me, let me tie them into my story a little bit, because that will give you a bit of context in terms of how I've come to arrive at where I am at the moment with my experience with it. Uh, and that was when I was about, it was, it was 2004, so I was about 17, 18 years old. I had chronic childhood asthma, and I spent a total that year. I spent a total of six months in bed with chest infections and sickness. It was pretty incredible. Like I had three inhalers, fourteen courses of antibiotics, and over four hundred prednisolone and steroid tablets. And that was that was my life. And the doctors literally gave me no hope. That that's what my GP said to me, Leo. You have no hope of getting out of this. We're doing everything we can for you. Uh, you just gotta, you just gotta, you know, take it easy and and take what comes to you. That was his, his exact words. Actually, where we wrap you up in bubble wrap, uh, like the, for furniture removal, and put you away till you're 25. We don't know if you'll get better. Sweet. <laughs> I've been yeah. wrapped up in bubble wrap too. So <laughs> I think yeah. when you say that, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I've only asked to be wrapped in bubble wrap because it sounds fun. <laughs> it could be a bit of fun, you know, just very game. But I don't know, for five or six years, it would be my cup of tea. No. <laughs> so about three weeks after that, uh, my mom phoned me up and says, uh, hey, Leo, this method has come to Ireland. It's called the Buteco method, or Buteco as we call it. And uh, it's come to Ireland. It's from Russia. They they specialize with asthmatics. Would you be interested? And I said I jumped all over. I was like, yes, absolutely, let's do it. So I trained. I was one of the uh, earlier cohorts of Patrick McKeown uh, when he started teaching the method 
uh, in Ireland. And I took what he had, he had taught me and I applied it religiously, like training three times a day, uh, looking after my lifestyle, looking after my sleep, really going by the letter of the law. And about a year from when I had last met my GP, I had an appointment with a respiratory consultant because that's how fast the Irish healthcare system works. <laughs> We're about the so, same here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I walked in and I walked in with 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 a with a diary full of breathing exercise and lifestyle change. And uh, Dr. Costello uh, said to me, he says, Leo, you know, what can I do for you today? And I says, well, actually, I says, I don't know what you've been told. I says, well, things have changed. And he says, all right, well, let me let me know what's going on. And I explained to him what I had done. And he was like, look, man, you, you know what you're doing. Uh, you know your body now. He says, yes, I've heard of the method. I've heard of Patrick. He says, um, go on ahead and uh, gradually come off your medication. And if you have a relapse, then go back on it and, and be clever about it. So it was about 18 months to the day that I'd walked into my GP's office where I was completely medication symptom free. That's incredible. Nothing. Yeah. From when I was told you couldn't be a fitness trainer, which is what I wanted to do. Uh, from when I was told, you know, wrap yourself up and, and lock yourself away. Um, I was back playing football, I was back doing sport, back enjoying life again and beginning to find myself again, which was uh, pretty incredible. So that led me down that whole route of uh, physical training, which is what I then went into. And it was funny because as I was going through that, I avoided, I, I know you're laughing, I said, I'm, I'm a Pilates teacher, but I avoided being doing Pilates for years. I thought, oh, this is crazy because of the way they breathe was contradictory to the Buteyko method. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I avoided for years until I worked with with a gentleman named Derry Temple and he ran Pilates class and was like, Leo, I'm sending you to training. You're going to take over my classes and you have no choice in the matter. <laughs> I was like, all right, fine. Okay, I'll do it. So I went along and did, and it was when I was in that teacher training, I began to understand, hold on, they're, they're not breathing for the purpose of your respiratory system and respiratory health. They're breathing for the purpose of spinal health. That's a completely different ball game and a completely different reason to train your breathing system. So then, of course, when, when you dive into that and dive into strength and condition circles, you begin to learn the way they breathe. And I was like, OK, well, yeah, I started to dive into those patterns of breathing and the salva maneuvers and the Pilates style. And I was really interested by it, but didn't do much about it. And I didn't do much about it till I was over in when I, when I was working over in Toronto, actually. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm missing something here with my clients. I'm there, there's something I'm leaving off the table here. Like we got them training, we got nutrition, we got their sleep dialed in, we got personal development work going on, but I just felt there was something missing. And it wasn't until I put my finger on it that it was the breathing aspect. And I went, this is a game changer and I have to know how to coach it well before I start taking on people. So I went back then and did the, my diploma in Buteyko. And when I was in there, I met these two ladies from Holland and they were talking about the Wim Hof method and they were like, oh, we go cold swimming and yeah, the Wim Hof method, it's like breathe big. <laughs> oh, we don't care how you breathe, just, just breathe. <laughs> I was like, okay, isn't it strange? But something clicked with me was like, remember Pilates, Leo, like you avoided that for so long, but you got so much out of it. So I'm like, mm, okay, I'm going to find out more about this method. So I started to 
peel back the layers then of, of the Wim Hof method and started to do that on my own and went, okay, I'm really interested by this. Until one day I was doing it and I started looking at other things and, and was getting into herbology and, and that led me down the road of the idea of psychedelics of all things. And I was like, wow, everybody seems to be talking about psychedelics. What's that about? But I thought it was so strange that people were going to Peru to do psychedelics. And I was like, hold on a second. Here's this most amazing healing medicine or healing substance. But you've got to travel all the way to Peru or to South America to do it. That just does not make sense to me. I was like, I'm over in Ireland. I was like, surely God or nature and all their infinite wisdom has created something that is accessible to everybody somewhere in the world. And I thought there has to be more to this. So as I started to dive into that research, I came across holotropic breathing. So I don't know if you've heard much about holotropic breathing. Yes. But that was developed by a psychiatrist back in the 1950s. He was one of the earliest researchers into LSD. And when it, when it was legal, when it was first founded, and he had amazing results with his psychiatric patients and mental illness and all, all that area of, of life. But of course, his program got shut down as LSD got banned all around the world. So he went traveling around the world to, to the Amazon, to uh, African tribes, to Japan, to India. And he started going to all the tribes and, and researching how these guys were getting into these uh, states of what he called non-ordinary consciousness or psychedelic states for us, right? And what he found was really interesting was no matter what process they took, no matter what substance they took, no matter what they did, they all induced a breathing pattern. And he was like, hmm, that's really interesting. So he went back to his videos of his LSD clients and he actually went, do you know what? When they're at the height of their trip, they started to induce the same breathing pattern, which was a connected and, and a big breathing pattern. So he started to, to play with that pattern and he started to bring in other things like uh, tribal music he found was important, like a safe environment, and, and he developed a, a whole practice around it, which he called holotropic breathing. So I was blown away. I was like, no way. You can do this with breathing. This is pretty cool. This is really out there. <laughs> I was like, I know. It's really great know. conversation so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, how do you do this, right? And of course, I did the one thing you're told not to do, which is like, I don't care. I closed my curtains, I went into my bedroom, I got some big beats and tribal beats going on, and I just started to, to do the breathing, which, by the way, is a no-no. You should not do that. <laughs> and, yeah, Thank like, you for stealing that right off the hop. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you can find anything on YouTube nowadays, right? So if you search hard enough, you'll, you'll, you'll find the answers, but sometimes you don't want to open Pandora's box. And I got really lucky, you know. Because when I did the first time, okay, yes, I reached those euphoric states, and that was that was amazing, that was cool, and I was like, okay, I want to want to do that again. What's that all about? And so I did it again, and I got this very clear message, like it, it came like you speaking to me here, which was Leo, stop messing around with this shit and find out what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa, okay, all right, okay, okay, I'll, I'll listen, I'll listen. So that's when I started to research. Okay, well. What is holotropic breathing doing? And I went working with their practitioners. What is yoga breathing doing? What is Tai Chi? What is martial arts? What is? But the one that kept on coming back was the Wim Hof. And I found, well, you can get to the same places with Wim Hof too. I was like, what is going on with that? So because Wim Hof, the Wim Hof method has become so, uh, 
so well known for the world in the last kind of five years it, it's really taken a fire so you know what I'm going to train to their instructor level on this and really find out what the teachers have been taught and if they really know what's going on because I knew there was stuff going on but I didn't know whether it was then explained and that took me to kind of the, the, the full circle where I started looking at the science of what was going on, the physiology, the psychology. I started going into the, the talking to holotropic breath workers and rebirthers and, and radiance breathing and all these, all these different um, pieces of society of breathing to find out what's going on. And, and kind of that's where I've arrived at today where I, I, I look at how to coach people from a physiological rehab level to using it for sports and for strength um, and also using it then at, at, at other levels for looking at mental uh, mental health issues and resolving trauma as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of the three areas where it goes to is, is respiratory health, uh, it is uh, kinetic strength or posture, um, it is mental health and then after that it kind of breathing can be used as a as a secondary benefit to other systems in your body, like your gut or like your nervous system or like other systems in the body. So, so ladies and gentlemen, that's how you become a breath coach. (laughs) (laughs) Not the part about like going into your room and trying holotropic breathing without any coaching. All the other pieces. That's what I got. Well, here's the thing, right? And and I want to, I really want to hit down the importance of this. Because you can get there through a couple of different methods, right? But when I spoke to that, there was a lady, Jean Farrell, who I did some holotropic breath work with. She's based in Ireland. And she had like 20 or 30 years as a, as a psychiatrist and then 20 or 30 years as a breath worker on top of that. So she, she, knew, she knew what was going on. And, you know, we're all sitting around in a circle and we're like, okay, well, you know, what's her back? What, 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 why are you here? And I was like, ah, well, I'm just, I'm just here to find out what the hell is going on here because I was told to find out this stuff. So I had a one-to-one conversation with her and I was like, look, I was like, I want to find out what's going on here. I says, I've done this on my own. And she was like, you're an idiot. She's like, that, that was her opinion of me. She's a seven-year-old lady and she was just like, you're an idiot. She's like, you are not allowed to do this stuff on your own. I was like, why? I says, I have to know why because there are people learning this off the internet and doing this stuff and they don't know what they're getting in for. And she goes, well, it's like this. She goes, as you go deeper and deeper into the method, whatever one you choose, as you go deeper and deeper into the breathing, in other words, you do it for longer or you do it bigger and faster. She goes, you are, you are diving into your emotional, you can call it your emotional system, but your, your emotional states and you're diving deeper into your psychological states. She goes, no, got lucky because you had whatever 12 13 years of breath work behind you and of personal development behind you and of meditation behind you she goes but not everybody enters uh, at that level she goes so if you come across a trauma within a breathing session and you decide you it comes out as as an emotion so maybe it's geez you just get scared or maybe you start crying or maybe you start laughing or it just becomes a huge emotional release for you. She goes, that's okay. But if you approach that feeling and then you back away from it, you're like, oh, I don't really like this. No, this isn't for me. Or, or, or you send yourself into an emotional state, which isn't a, a positive one. 
She goes, you then stepped away from that door of pain. Now the problem is, is you've opened that Pandora's box. You've let those emotions out. She goes, so those emotions can come back into your conscious life up to 30-fold. So unless you have a teacher there to guide you through that process, you're going to make life much worse for you. And I, w I was in sessions where I can say I have seen people go through all, all sorts of hell, which I don't really want to get onto a podcast, but I've seen them go through all sorts of hell. And so my biggest recommendation is, is don't do that stuff on your own, you know, back off. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about what is a good entry route into it. But, um, but certainly don't dive deep early on. Um, and one thing that Wim says, which is very true, is definitely go with the feeling of your body. Your body will tell you the answer of where to go. Um, it's like you step under a 160-kilo uh, bar and you got that on your back. Your body knows as soon as you pick that bar off that rack, your body knows, yeah, I'm game on here or no, I'm not game on. If you've got any doubt in your mind when you're doing that, you've got a high risk of disaster. I love that you brought in the strength uh, comparison because we often speak about, you know, just owning a movement and owning a slow pace or a light pace before you start to obviously go heavier or faster. And you've given that comparison with the breathing. It's like the takeout is slowing it all down. It's building a little bit or a lot more awareness of it. But then you contrast that to Wim Hof and that's a bigger and a faster breath. And it's the same strategy with strength training, but a lot of people, I think because it's breathing and because they are just like, well, I've, I mean, clearly I'd be dead if I wasn't still breathing. So clearly I should be able to do any of these. And we see people take on something like Wim Hof and like the ice baths and they've gone to YouTube university and they're jumping full throttle into something like at 10 minutes in an ice cold lake in the winter without any of the mental prep and any of the physical prep. And um, I think one of the main misconceptions is what you touched on in terms of it being our access point to our autonomic nervous system. But as such, when you look at things like polyvagal theory as well, you start to really appreciate how much manipulating your breathing can manipulate the sensory feedback to your brain and then open up, as you said, Pandora's box. Mm -hmm. So that if there's something in there, and a lot of people don't realize like that is a physiological link. It's not just like a woo-woo, oh my God, you just went into hyperventilation and, and made some stuff up. It's like, if you look at the physiology behind it, going big, going fast and going like hard into it can actually create a shutdown and a mobilization within your system. It, it can. And we're, we're very much playing with the safety side of things. And that's my role as a coach is to keep the weakest. If I'm in a group is to keep the weakest person safe. That, that's all I care about. It, once the weakest person is safe, I'll make sure everybody else has a good time and, and they, they have fun. But if that weakest person isn't safe, and this is something that I've noticed in the broader community, you know, one, you're, you're, the, the, the methods are going to run into a lot of trouble long term. But two, as, as that individual, if you're that individual, like it's a disaster. The, 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 way I, the way I equate it is Wim Hof is like Olympic lifting or is like HIIT training for the average person. You know, you jump straight into multiple sets of 20 second sprints or you jump straight into Olympic lifts and you're not prepared for that. You're going to break your body in two. You're going to smash yourself. If not on any given day. You will do it over the course of a couple of months 
or even in the course of two years because your body just won't cope with the stress of doing whereas i like to just me personally and and this isn't yeah it, it's just my experience of it and perhaps i'm wrong maybe 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 some other practitioners are right when they say this um like some just go no no it's okay like just go with the feel of it go with the feel of it but some people are so out of touch with their feeling of their body that they have no clue what's going on yes and that's the point i'm trying to make is like they don't actually realize when they've gone too far it's like they've gotten under that bar and it's super heavy and that's where we see injuries all the time they're just like but i was just following a linear progression it's like yeah but at some point you left the sensation and the awareness behind and mm. um and yeah it's that awareness piece that it's it's subtle and people take for granted that you know certain things like oh i walk every day or i breathe every day so it's it's okay to just jump in mm. and so can you just tell us a little bit more about Bateco or auction advantage or wim hof in terms of who are they for like what are the aims of these things and who should be jumping in and using them Okay, we'll, we'll go with that and then I'll explain why afterwards, if that makes sense. Your question is, who are they for? Like, breathing is so fundamental to everybody that it, they can benefit everybody. That, that, that's, that's one thing that I, the way I pitch it might be a little bit different just because of my experience. So I, I look at Buteco as a rehabilitation technique. And its purpose is to get your respiratory system back in balance and, and operating uh, excellently at the highest levels of the Buteco method. And that requires not only breathing, it will require lifestyle change added in, much like, you know, if you've got a client that wants to, you know, lose 40, 50 pounds, yes, they need to exercise, but they also need to sleep well and they need to eat well and need to have a good balance in their life. So it's the same with the breathing aspect. And the second point then is, so that's, that's Buteco, that's what I use it for. But like I remember that the first year after coming back, from having rehabbed my lungs and, and having been medication free, I was playing playing Gaelic football. So we were we would be doing it's a sport where you're completely flogged. You're you're just out in the rain and the mud and it's just sprint after sprint after sprint after sprint. It's it's an amateur Irish sport. It's a really cool one, but they're they're back then anyway, the sport science was was not thought about. But I remember this it still stands to me like 15 years later this this first night that i came back i thought i was walking on water i was just like my sprints were just phenomenal i was doing 80 meter re re repeat sprints and i was winning every single sprint and i'd finish the sprint and i'd be as calm as i am here and i just thought it was amazing but a lot of athletes don't tend to go for buteco for whatever reason i don't know why uh, it's just not marketed that well towards it. So I look at it as a rehabilitation technique. The auction advantage uh, was created by Patrick McKeown. Patrick was one of the earliest Westerners to train with Dr. Butikil, uh, who was a Russian medical doctor, by the way. So Patrick went over in the 1990s, late 1990s, early 2000s, just before Dr. Butikil passed away and learned the method and brought it here taught it for a long time and then knew that athletes were missing out. So he developed his Oxygen Advantage program off that. The essence of Oxygen Advantage is Buteco, but he has also added in some more advanced technique, which are more potent. Uh, and he's also begun to realize that there's benefits in other breathing techniques like 
you could say like the heart math uh, breathing that they do there, which is called coherent breathing, which is four seconds in, six seconds out, in through the nose, out through the mouth. And like I call it a, a cadence breath or a, do you know what I mean? Where you're, where you're timing your, your circles of breath. Mm -hmm. So that's what Oxygen Advantage is about. Really, it's, a, it's about functional breathing patterns for athletes. Wim Hof, oh, I use it for primarily for mental health reasons. And I use it like at the low level with people, I use it for mental health reasons, whether that's because you are an anxious or a panicky or, or a depressed like characteristics to your personality, or you just don't feel like you got energy in, in your body and you're highly stressed and, and kind of on the edge of burnout. Uh, I use it a lot for those people who don't like meditation because Boutique is very much more relaxed and, and chilled, whereas Wim Hof is very vigorous. So I use it a lot with A-type personalities. And you got to remember the breathing with Wim Hof, it's never been researched on its own. It's always researched in conjunction with the ice and the mindset. There was one research study where they isolated each component and they didn't find too many significant results. But for me, that's why I use the Wim Hof method. But again, are you going to have benefits for sport? Absolutely. Are you going to have benefits for um, the respiratory system if your physiology agrees with it? Absolutely. Um, but I use it mainly for mental health and then also for cardiovascular conditioning. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think uh, Freya, you said that you had Raynaud's, for example. So that would be an extreme version of cardiovascular deconditioning in one element where your, where your extremities get severely cold. Mm -hmm. So would I use, I would coach it on a one-to-one, -one, but could you use it? You could, but again, you have to start gently and you have to know why. Yeah. It's the ice bath piece, especially that's like I said, yeah, well, I, personally, I wouldn't be for, for you, no. for, for me as a coach, I wouldn't be like, get into an ice bath. That's, yeah. that's far from what I would be doing. I would be teaching your body how to, heat itself up first without needing to get cold first. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Like one of the things with the Wim Hof breathing is people think the Wim Hof breathing makes you warm. It does not. The Wim Hof breathing makes you, it's hyperventilate. <laughs> it, it's that there is a, a balancing element to it with a breath hole, but Wim Hof breathing will make you cold is what I have found. And there's no research behind it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've always, I've always, uh, I've hated cold water and cold just in general physiology mm -hmm. responds super well. But I remember when Wim Hof was starting to come out and I was speaking with people about it and they're like, Oh, you should really try it. And telling me about like the, the cold baths and Oh, it's just a minute and things like that. And the, the reality of it is I've tried open water swimming in the city where our water is like 20 by all standards for a lot of people that's really nice and balmy and will completely lose circulation of feet and hands. And, mm -hmm. uh, I just kind of, I, I went looking in to see if there was something about like the diving reflex that I could manipulate in order to manipulate the Raynaud's effect and went down that route. And eventually after, you know, trying, cause I, I'm not opposed to trying. I just, I remember I told my osteo, I was like, is there a reason I have to go that route or can I keep doing the other techniques that I'm working on mm. for benefit? And that's the, at the end of the day, um, to quote you, actually, there are many methods 
and few principles. And that's how mm-hmm. we always believe in terms of coaching movement is there's so many ways to go mm-hmm. about it that there should be a way to find something that you enjoy and it gives you the positive physiological effect that you're looking for, whether we're talking about strength training or talking about breathing. And there are so many different ways to quote unquote, skin the proverbial cat. That's a terrible sentence, <laughs> <laughs> but suffice it to say. Many roads lead to Rome. A lot nicer. As I'm saying, I'm like, oh, that's brutal. But anyway, um, point being, there are so many different ways around accomplishing an end and task. Yeah. And uh, that's the part that we really do want to highlight because you've really accomplished that with all of your breast studies is finding who it could work with. And that's where yeah. having, which I think is so important for people when they start to undertake these things. And again, this is why like so many people will get away with, with diving straight in and that's fine. That's okay. Well done. Uh, that's great. But that's an N equals one. That that doesn't mean it applies to everybody. and doesn't mean that what you experience is experience to everyone. And that applies to me too. Like I said, I had amazing experiences with the holotropic breathing first off, but I had 12 years of meditation and breath practice behind me. So that had to have impacted my starting point. But just on the, on the heat and cold part, what the Wim Hof breathing does for the ice bath is, so when you do the breathing method, you dump carbon dioxide, okay? So you, you exhale it out, right? By doing that, you begin to alkalize your blood. So your blood goes from a range of about set is pretty tightly controlled, 7.35 to 7.45, and it starts to push up what they found in research above 7.6, women's got above to, to over 7.8, okay? Which is very significant for the body. It's a highly alkaline state for the body. Now, the thing is, is that carbon dioxide is, as far as I know, it's the only substance that crosses the blood-brain barrier. So... In your brain, what happens then is as your blood becomes more alkaline, as CO2 begins to drop, your brain goes, "Uh uh-oh, we are going into a negative state here. We got to change something here. And what it does then is it signals for adrenaline to be secreted. Because if you think of of an athlete, what does any athlete do before they have a competition? (laughs) They're like, they're they're good to go, man. And same with if, if... you got somebody that's chasing you, like your, your breathing system will upregulate. You will automatically <sighs> hyperventilate. And that's a good thing in that instance because you are signaling in your brain for adrenaline then to be generated. That will also have then is an analgesic effect on, on the body. So you think of a boxer in the middle of a boxing fight, you know, he gets cracked in the jaw or she gets cracked in the jaw and... They're, they're absolutely fine until the next day, right? And then the next day they feel, oh man, my jaw hurts so much. Because of the adrenaline dump in their system, and they don't feel the pain. Now, what did you say an ice bath causes you? <laughs> pain, right? Pain for many hours thereafter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens is that the breathing, with the Wim Hof breathing, it will dull your pain sensation in your skin so that you can then reap the rewards of an ice bath if if it's the right stimulus for you and the right dosage for you yeah that that's essentially what the, what it's doing and then the other end of the the method which is uh, we practice a horse stance which is pretty much a squat with the spine rotation 
That's all about generating heat. That's all. That's your heat generator afterwards. And what, what a Wim Hof instructor will do when you're in the water is they'll teach you to extend your exhale. Why? Because they don't want you hyperventilating in there. Because you'll panic because you will um, also dump a lot of heat out of your system and you'll get colder quicker. That's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> the way I think of the breathing is it's a head start. Yeah. So you're in, a, you're in a race, right? And you jump straight into an ice bath that's like starting out of the blocks. Whereas if you do the breathing first, it's like you started from 10 meters back, but you got that running head start on them. And all of a sudden the, the gun goes as soon as you pass the guy in the blocks. Boom, you're, you're away. You're going to kick ass. You're going to win that race, right? And, and that's what Wim found was when, when he was experimenting on himself way back in, in the Netherlands was he just decided one day, hey, I'm going to jump into this ice lake. He got this, you know, I'm going to jump in here. So he jumped in and he found that his breathing went. <sighs> so combined with all of his philosophical practices and with what he experienced in the cold, he said, what happened if I started that first and then got in? And lo and behold, he was able to stay in the cold for longer. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible, right? Now, if we were just to speak about kind of general population these, these days, high-paced world, lots of stress, lots of anxiety, is there a way for somebody out there in general just to see if they have breathing dysfunction? Is there a simple test they can do or anything? There's lots of stuff. Let's stay on our little pathway a little bit, and I'm going to merge in what you said, Dane. Perfect. I think we'll, we'll, we'll work backwards. Your, your question is, is can, can people check out and see if they have functional breathing or not? I've seen people, and there's many reports of people using the Wim Hof breathing to reset their system and their respiratory system over time. And people have used it to improve asthma and to eliminate asthma symptoms. And they've also tried the Buteyko method, which is the exact opposite method, and had no success with that. And what that tells me a lot is it depends on the person and their psychology and where they're coming at it. If you're not, if you're not someone who can sit still, like it's not in your brain, you're a very A-type person, you're a very go-getter, you're, you're you know, high-end lawyer, put that on top, you're a crossfitter, put that on top, you do crazy endurance runs, put that on top, you do other stuff, so you're like, okay, this person has no down, how do we get them back there? Sometimes when a person is panicking, the best thing isn't to tell them to calm down. The best thing is to hit them a punch and then they'll snap out of it, right? <laughs> so sometimes to get a person to chill out, they need to experience something uh, heavy or something vigorous in order to drop back into that parasympathetic state. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So in that case, for those type of people, I'm like, okay, give the Wim Hof a try, but only do two rounds, maybe three rounds max. I would not do more than that. But that's all I would do for that. And that, that's how those people can then drop back into that parasympathetic state or that relaxed state throughout the day is because they can build it up that way. But you've got to understand that it is a stressful breathing pattern. Okay, let's drop into a little bit of energy and cellular energy. When we want to make energy in the cell, we got oxygen comes into our system and nutrients come into our system and they go into the cell. And if it's a fully functioning cell, what comes out is ATP. And then you got other products come out too. So you got carbon dioxide, heat, lactate, and hydrogen ion, and water. Okay, they all come out too. I don't think I'm missing anything else. Am I right? No, that's it. Sounds good to me. In, in simplicity, that's it. Okay. Simplicity, so, yes. 
We know that to help make more ATP, well, you improve functioning of the cells, so you improve the nutrients going in. Okay, that, that's great. That's, we can dive in a whole rabbit hole of that, but essentially that's what's going on. And then if we want to also train us to be fitter people, to be more optimal uh, functioning people, you can train all the elements of what comes out. So that's ATP comes out, carbon dioxide, will we can train that through our breathing system specifically. Lactate, we can train that through our metabolic pathways and our breathing system. Heat, we can train that through heat therapy or cold therapy, but thermoregulation uh, training, we can do that through. Uh, and then you have water, and then you have hydrogen ion, which, which is an acidifier for the system that comes out with the lactate and so that's acidifying and that that's regulated through your breathing and then secondary through your gut and your kidneys does that make sense yep. yep okay so when i'm training people i'm looking at like a lot of people think i'll train my energy system so they train anaerobic and aerobic and maybe cp i think of it a lot broader than that i'm like mm, how do i train the cell okay i gotta make sure that my my co2 tolerance level is really high so I can withstand a lot of CO2 tolerance through breath training. I want to improve my lactate threshold and ensure that's high. I want to improve my thermal regulation training and ensure that I can deal in heat. Um, and I want to ensure that I've got good hydration, good nutrients in the cell. That's essentially what I'm doing when I'm training people. So when you look at functional breathing, one of the keys to functional breathing is not, am I breathing with my belly or my chest? It's not. It's got to do with CO2 tolerance because it's carbon dioxide, which is your first stimulus to breathe. So it's a rise in CO2 in your, in your blood, which then crosses that blood brain barrier, which then tells your brain, hey, you need, your brain then says, okay, diaphragm, you need to start working here. And that's what happens through your life, except for your first breath or if you're at altitude. Okay. Oxygen isn't your primary stimulus. I delayed my first breath by a long shot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why is she not breathing? <laughs> you were blue and I was red and very upset. <laughs> That's a really interesting one because, you know, I genetically have asthma. Okay. I don't know why, but I do. My kids developed asthma. One of them was born with a cord wrapped around her throat mm. and had breathing problems from day one, uh, which develops into asthma symptoms. And the other one was perfectly fine till about age four. And she got a virus which knocked her immune system. And from that virus, she developed asthma symptoms. Yep. Mm. So you got to remember in medical literature, asthma is not defined. It's characterized. Yeah. It's not defined. Yeah. And that's why the Buteyko method was so effective with it. They actually, with Buteyko, they believe, and hardcore practitioners, that every modern illness every lifestyle disease can be eliminated or, or at the at the essence of it is hyperventilation chronic hyperventilation can you actually touch on that for us uh, for our listeners because hyperventilation i think people imagine somebody like gasping on the brink of fainting whereas a lot of people don't realize that day to day they're over breathing mm -hmm. so the definition of hyperventilation is taking in more than you need, whether that's a gasp or whether that's chronic over a long period. 
So we have begun recently, and, and I think there's more practitioner focus. I've seen a little bit of it in the literature where we're defining the difference of what we mean. So there's chronic hyperventilation, which is uh, low dose long term. In other words, you over breathe over the span of your whole day, your whole week, your whole month, your whole year. And then you have acute, which I, I personally call supraventilation, where you are intentionally taking in more than you need, uh, like supra maximal loading um, in weightlifting, right? And that's where, where, let's say, Wim Hof is. It's a supra-maximal or supra-ventilatory process. Ah, mm -hmm. Part of it is, anyway. <laughs> so when we talk about chronic hyperventilation, we're talking about functional breathing. We're talking about lowering our levels of carbon dioxide. This is where the Buteco and where Dr. Buteco did all his research. Essentially, what happened, this is all based on the, the Bohr effect of physiology dating back to about 1904, where in your red blood cells, oxygen is bound to hemoglobin. Ideally, it travels to where it wants to get to, and then it's released. Mm -hmm. But it's not simply just released. What happens is it's kicked off. And it's kicked off because of a rise in carbon dioxide levels. But if you over-breathe, just little by little over a long time, for whatever reason that caused it, but if you overbreathe chronically, what you'll do is you'll reset the center in your brain to a more sensitive level of carbon dioxide. Yeah. So it'll reset itself and I'll say, okay, well, you know, this guy now breathes, instead of breathing, you know, like this, he now breathes like this. So anything more than that means he's going into a stress response. So we will, we will set off, I need to breathe more. And pretty much what happens is you get in a vicious cycle over time of breathing more and more and more and more, but it comes at a cost. And the cost is, is that your, depending on your genetics, your system can shut down. If you have asthma genetics, your lungs might be the first to shut down in response to an extra stress. If you are a poor cardiovascular system, it might be your CV system uh, that shuts down and which leads to a rise in blood pressure or possibly Raynaud's or a whole host of CV diseases. If it's uh, your gut system, uh, which is your weakness, it might lead to then, okay, poor oxygenation of your organs and of your gut system. So it will exasperate symptoms of gut diseases like Crohn's disease or whatever. If it's blood sugar management, it can also lead to type 2 and type 1 diabetes. So the reason why functional breathing is so important is because we breathe every second of the day. There is not a time in the day when we don't breathe, <laughs> unless it's intentional. And at least that's what functional we should do. Yes. <laughs> but we, we're like without air, we can only go without air for a matter of minutes. Mm -hmm. with, literally with, uh, without air for, you try and breath hold, you, your last maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute, maybe five minutes, but you won't last more than seven. They say the brain starts to die after about seven seconds mm -hmm. and brain cells start to die and the brain starts to shut down after about 11 minutes. Now, obviously you can be trained to a higher degree, but yeah, like a, a, a diver, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's a different, that's a different beast. Yeah. Different beast. 
So you, you, you got to think of it. I mean, the, the, the yoga saying is true. You can go without movement for months and still function well. You can go without food for weeks, without water for days, but you can only go without sleep for minutes. Mm-hmm. And yet who looks to training their breath specifically to enhance their health and their performance? Not many, at least until recently. Until recently, yeah. Correct. Yeah. So Dr. Gutico then said, okay, ideally in your blood at plasma, you should have 5 to 7% levels of CO2, which translates, he said, into a breath hold, mm-hmm. okay, which somebody can measure at home first thing in the morning very easily. And he said that that breath hold relates to different levels of carbon dioxide in your body, or in other words, it relates to different states of health of your system, Okay. So the breath hold is real simple. You sit tall, take a quiet breath in through your nose, breath out, pinch and hold. And you hold your nose until you get the first urge to breathe. It's called a control pause, a morning control pause. In Oxygen Advantage, they call it a bolt score. Same thing. And what it says is, is that pretty much if you're breathing for, let me get my stats right. I think it's between 10 and 15 seconds, you're breathing for the equivalent of six people. If you're breathing for between 15 and 20, drops to five. If your breath hold lasts between 20 and 25 seconds, sorry, 20 and 30 seconds, it's the equivalent of breathing for three and a half people. Between 30 and 40 seconds, you're breathing for the equivalent of two people. And for breathing above 40 seconds, so a breath hold above 40 seconds, uh, you're breathing for about one and a half people. And above 60 seconds, is where you should be on a normal breath hold first thing in the morning. And I think most people will be shocked to see how hard they, sorry, how hard it is to get even over 30. Yeah, get even over, even if, even trained athletes, I've worked with some guys who are coaches to Olympians and world champions, and we've spoken, and their initial breath hold was like, 18 seconds. Mm-hmm. It was in the toilet. It was terrible. And these guys are very, very fit, compatible people themselves. Now, once they started the specific training, they 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 shot up like there's no tomorrow because they had that cross-train effect. But initially, they were very low, and they were wondering, well, why do I have why do I have allergies? Why do I have rhinitis? Why do I have all these symptoms of disease, even though I'm a high-functioning uh, athlete mm-hmm. or athlete coach? And that's why it's because they've never looked to specifically train the respiratory system. Actually, to loop back on just how easy some of that training can be and to loop back on your comment on your daughters, taping. Can you touch on taping at night? Because that's one place that we can train it, yes. right? <laughs> and we uh, okay. yeah, so we, we yeah. will tape if we feel like we're coming down with a cold. And when people hear that, they think, oh, you're insane. And ages ago, like eight or nine years ago, I used to tape when I was doing um, my my cycling training indoors. Anytime I was indoors, mm-hmm. I, if I went out for a ride outside, I did not. But can you touch on on how you use that? <laughs> use well, that? I've used it to run. I ran a marathon with my mouth tape. Yeah. I hadn't run in seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, zero running training. The most I ran for was a bus. I did SNC work in the gym and I did breath training. I just decided I was going to give this a go. I, and I lab tested for it, which was pretty interesting. I found some really, really cool stuff. 
Um, and you'll see a lot of people on Instagram do it now. I don't recommend it for people to be doing training, but the reason why I ran it with my mouth tape was to show that I was nose breathing. And the reason why you want to nose breathe when you are endurance training, and there is, there is no literature on this. You will not find this because it has not been researched. And research is about 20 years away from practice. I found this by chance because I wanted to do the marathon and I lab tested for it. Now I know that there's guys over in California who are finding similar results. And once I found it with me, I started to test it. I actually was training a football team at the time. And I pulled, because I'd done a load of breath training with them, I pulled them into the lab and paid for all them to get tested. And I found that there is a direct correlation between nose breathing and your aerobic energy system. So I call it vent level one of your breathing system as an athlete. So you've got three vent levels. A vent is just anything that allows air to pass through air, gas, or liquid, technically. Vent level one is all nasal, in through the nose, out through the nose. Think of it, it's a small hole, and you become efficient at that, you make your system more efficient. Vent level two, then, is nose mouth. Why? Because carbon dioxide is your stimulus to breathe, so if you're working harder, you want to dump more CO2. Vent level two. Vent level three, then, is your, your gas, and it's in through the mouth, out through the mouth. <laughs> so what I found in the VO2 max testing and the lab testing was that there was a direct relationship between vent level one, all nasal breathing, and your aerobic threshold in a trained person, in a trained person. So the longer you can nasal breathe at a higher intensity, the more aerobic you are. The more aerobic you are, the uh, longer you're going to last no matter what game you're in. Mm-hmm. Because... When it comes to strength, this is the interesting thing for strength athletes, is it always fascinated me is kinetically why they breathe the way they breathe. In other words, with higher reps, they will tend to breathe in on the way down, breathe out on the way up. With lower reps, they will tend to vasalva maneuver, inhale, hold with the abs squeezed in and get through the rep, right? Mm-hmm. So it always fascinated me, you know, what are the different ways to breathe? But essentially when it comes to strength, there is maximal strength, which means you want all of your energy and force directed towards lifting that weight one to five times. That's maximal strength. So you only need to train your aerobic system enough to get you through 20 seconds of work. Make sense? Then you want to use your aerobic, you want to use your respiratory system to help your postural system. Does that make sense? In other words, you want to create that brace. Let's make it simple. You want to use the the diaphragm, and you want to lock everything down. But if you're doing anything more than that, you've got a playoff between strength and oxygen, or carbon dioxide, right? So you've got a playoff between strength and your respiratory system. The longer you go, the more demand on your respiratory system, your strength drops, if your respiratory system isn't trained. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So... That's why you got, yeah, I can see you smiling there. Yeah, and, and that's, I feel like once a podcast, I throw in one little snippet about how I have competed in strongman and it's fascinating to me. And f- so Freya started coaching me in strongman five years ago yeah. about, and before Freya, I wasn't training. So in strongman, a lot of times the events are 60 seconds. 
So you uh-huh. have to have a max output as strong as possible for 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. And I was training nothing in the gym for 60 seconds. It was basically all max strength output. And she starts coaching me. She's like, so what are you doing? <laughs> basically. <laughs> because I was not, I was, you know, cause it's called strongman. So I was always training to get as strong as possible and it worked really well. I got really strong, but it's so true in the sport of strongman. You see a lot of these big guys notably i mean it's i'm not a big guy but so the big guys especially uh they would gas out after you know 30 40 seconds you know they get five reps six reps and they look so good and then suddenly boom just flat line can't do anything else and you see that across the board in especially with the big guys but it's across all weight classes now and i think it's just because people are not training the aerobic system to get through 60 seconds Yeah. And that was my big take when I first looked at the programming for it. I was like, none of this makes sense because you train for five reps, but in a 60 second heat, you could do, depending on the weight, you might be able to rip out 15 reps of a really heavy deadlift. And so, yeah, we took a slightly different approach with his energy system training and breathing and also ramping up with breathing and then ramping down with breathing. Mm strongman events can take the competition can take eight hours and you have four events you got to really know how to keep your system at the level that you want it at when when you're down so you're not running out of adrenaline and halfway through the day but then also the bracing piece because a lot of people just don't they overlook it they're inherently strong and so to your point about trade-offs there there is a trade-off yeah yeah, people use the trade-off there. They're just like, I'm just going to rip it. And uh, and then we lose those stability pieces or we lose the ability, ability, sorry, I can't speak now, to repeat. Yes. All the old, all the strong men of old did breathing practices. Um, Sanford Bennett, uh, Bernard McFadden, Charles Atlas, they all talked about, uh, Jack Lanann, they all talked about breathing practices that they did. They might not have known why they do them, but now we know, for me, it's, like the research isn't fully there, but when you look at physiology, when you look at when you look at biomechanics, when you look at psychology, when you when you when you take these elements of science and then you piece them around a, a and try and say as, as little dogmatic as you can about it and just look and see what is going on here, you understand what a vital role it can play. It's not the be all and end all, but it's that's why it's becoming so big is because I think it's gonna do more for athletes or as much for athletes now as getting into a gym in the first place ever did for athletes originally because not only does it affect your gym session or your competition event it also affects you all day all night so your ability to down regulate your ability to sleep your ability to think clearly is all affected by your breathing practices to give you your 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 right your that was amazing for you that you were doing um up regulating practices which you can do uh, down regulating practices remember as a part of the, the nervous system some people look at it like up regulating and down regulating with the nervous system but remember it's from a respiratory point of view you're also when you do that up regulating practice you are dumping carbon dioxide <laughs> which means you're also lowering your start point for your lactate levels because what gets produced from a cell from creating energy is CO2, lactate, hydrogen ion, uh, water, and heat. So you will cool your system, you will dump CO2, you will drop your start point of lactate, all by doing that upregulating practice beforehand. And this is on, on the Wim Hof, I think it, it's up online, he'll get you to do 
which is really cool. It gets you to do a maximum round of push-ups. And I've done this with countless people now, a couple of hundred people. Get them to do uh, maximum effort push-ups. Keep your technique. Go, go, go as hard as you can. Then do uh, a round of his breathing uh, to two rounds of his breathing. And then go back and do the push-ups. And I've seen people get anywhere from, I've seen everybody progress um, from anywhere from seven reps extra to up to 45 reps extra. <laughs> yeah. The only people Decent. that didn't progress were the ones that had terrible dysfunctional breathing patterns. Mm. In other words, their breathing was so off, they couldn't even do the method well in the first place. Right. <laughs> so they didn't get any benefit to it. So, but 45 extra reps. Yeah, 45 is pretty insane. And where did they start at? <laughs> yeah, well, and this is the thing. Some of them were complete beginners that hadn't been in the gym before. I've done it with athletes. I've done it with semi-pro, with amateur, and then with complete like housewives and, and, and house husbands and, and just you know, people who do not exercise at all. Are there any simple breathing strategies that you would suggest listeners start with to manage, let's just say baseline stress? Okay, so like I said, we're working our way backwards here to the start, right? Remember, <laughs> we need a simple take home for the listeners. <laughs> backwards from advanced breathing. We, we, we worked all the way backwards here, which is beautiful. So we talked about the Wim Hof method and how it gets you switched on. Um, we've talked about upregulating practices, which um, when we say upregulate, we're talking about our nervous system and get you hype, get you active and ready to go, energized. Then we talked about what your cell actually needs and um, what you can train. And then we have begun to talk about uh, carbon dioxide being the main component here in terms of training it. And then you brought us onto taping and onto functional breathing. That all is, is a part of that next piece of the jigsaw, which you said, which is what is a take home? If you think if, if people are chronically over breathing or hyperventilating because they have that low control pause, according to Dr. Pateko, then they need to improve their CO2 tolerance and calm their system. The easiest way to say that is you need to breathe so light that you cannot see your breath, you cannot hear your breath, and you can hardly even feel it. In other words, you need to gradually reduce the amount of the amount you breathe until you get to a stage where it's incredibly light and unnoticeable. So how do you get there? One of the main things is to develop nasal breathing as your vent level one. Develop nasal breathing as your go-to unconscious breath and this is where i get frustrated by people saying deep breathing because when you nasal breathe you will activate your diaphragm uh 50 greater than mouth breathing so i've never had any success coaching people to breathe deep just just push your belly out i've had some success by putting blocks and putting hands and stuff like that on but very, very little the most effective is getting them to nasal breathe and um, because then automatically you begin to use your diaphragm more and then automatically you will begin to use all of your lungs when you need to. But some people find it very hard, particularly if they have any any respiratory disease or lifestyle disease, they find it very hard to nasal breathe. The only caveat, by the way, to nasal breathing is if you've got a deviated septum, uh, you may need to get that fixed. As long as you can breathe through your nose for a minute, you can breathe through your nose for life. 
you just need to train okay the simplest way is when your nose breathing all day all night then how do you make that easier is by either doing breath holding techniques okay so you can and this is the buteco method is you breathe in through your nose breathe out of your nose pinch and just walk in other words you're building up your star stores of carbon dioxide that's one way of doing it or another way is like a meditation type practice where you just sit there and you gradually take a little bit less air in so you just slow down the amount you breathe and you make it more and more gentle they're the two easiest ways of doing it I think those are fantastic ways for people to just yeah. begin with it. Yeah. And and even just tuning in to build that awareness of whether they are nasal breathing alone can be powerful for a lot of people who default into a mouth breathing state under a lot of stress at work or at home without Absolutely. consciously realizing. Absolutely. And that's why the, yeah. the mouth taping, mouth taping was developed in the seventies by a patient of Dr. Botecas. It wasn't a part of the original method. Uh, and it's become huge now because of the, the prevalence of actually the oxygen advantage. Um, and also you have a lot of um, myofunctional therapists and pediatric orthodontists who have become very much aware of the importance of your airway to jaw development and to nasal development. And particularly sleeping at night and sleep disordered breathing is huge. So like uh, obstructive sleep apnea and sleep disordered breathing, you're how you breathe has a big influence on those things and then they will trigger on to having a big influence on how you feel during the day so taping your mouth is a real safe way and um, provided you're not under intoxication and provided you're not anxious about it <laughs> so if you're an anxious type person you take that mouth and you're like no i just can't do it then you got to find out another way how to get there but it's a real, no, it, it's a really effective way. It's awesome. I've done it with children. Um, I've done it with the elderly. I've done it with people with, uh, now remember as a, as a coach, I've done it with certain diseases as well and normal people. But if you're just a stressed out head, it's a great way of getting you to relax. Because here's the thing is, if you're not breathing well during your sleep, you're not sleeping well. You're, you're not hitting your different phases of sleep. Yeah. And what knock-on effect does poor sleep? It doesn't matter if you get eight hours. Uh, it doesn't matter if you go to bed at 10 p.m. and get eight beautiful hours. It doesn't matter. If, if the way you're breathing while you're sleeping is off, then it'll have consequences for your sleep. Absolutely. Yep. Talk to people about that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, such a common thing right it's uh, i got eight hours of sleep how'd you feel this morning terrible I'm like well <laughs> yeah exactly something there and, and that's our biggest indicator how do you feel this morning uh, if you want to be specific about your breath is, is your mouth dry when you get up in the morning that's part of our is, yeah it's the easiest question to to answer yes or no yeah and um, how do you feel what's your energy levels like and is your mouth wet or dry all right. Well, this has been awesome so far. We always uh, ask our guests a few wrap-up questions at the end. So you ready? <sighs> Quick fire. Let's Quick fire. <laughs> All right. So what is the most impactful book you've read in the past year? Uh, the most in the last year? I actually think David Goggins' book was awesome. Which one's that? David Goggins is the um, You Can't Hurt You Can't Hurt Me. Uh, he's a Navy SEAL. Yeah. Ah. Oh. 
like a lunatic, an absolute lunatic <laughs> of the highest order. Like he went through three Navy SEAL trainings, Ranger wing training. He was 200 pounds, did, his, did a 24 hour, he wanted to get into to, uh, bad water ultra running uh, in order to raise funds for, uh, for families of deceased servicemen and women. And so, but they wouldn't let him in. So they said, well, the only way you get in is if you have a, uh, if you run this 24 hour race uh, at the weekend. So he said, okay, I'll go do it. So he went to do it and his CEO in, in the SEALs the night before said, uh, hey Goggins, get in here. We got a training session. And he's like, no, 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 I got this. I got, I got to run a hundred miles on uh, on Sunday. And he was like, like, you're such a pussy. He's like, get in here and get training. So we ended up doing like powerlifting style training, deadlifting, benching, the, the whole the whole nine yards. And then the next day went and ran the 24-hour race, had to hit 100 miles, weighing 200 pounds, Ugh. and uh, on, on biscuits. No sign of nutrition, no sign of sleep training. No, like the dude is just crazy. Actual lunatic, okay. Genuine, like, way out there. But his life story is amazing, uh, like, from childhood traumas all the way through to SEALs. Like, the dude was, I think he was 350 pounds at one stage. Wow. Like, overweight, 350 pounds, not muscle. But what was fascinating about him was, and you'll love this, was he came all the way to the end, right? And there was, there was he was at the end, and he was talking about, you know, he'd gone through his whole life, and he'd achieved all these amazing things, and he genuinely thought he was dying. Because the doctors couldn't find out what the hell was wrong with him, and like he was, he had no energy. He was blacking out. He couldn't, he couldn't walk. You know, a couple of paces. He was in absolute agony. And uh, what it turned out was, was his spoiler alert. Body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just because I know, I know you guys yeah. love, love movement. And if you think about it, he went hard his whole, his whole life. This guy went hard at it. And, and his whole thing is about promoting, you know, resiliency and, and going hard. But at the end of the day, now we know the reason why his whole system was shutting down was because he had nuts the size of golf balls in his in his body, from his psoas yeah. to the back of his neck to the whole his whole his whole kinetic change was going and, and cramped up. And he he rehabbed himself with six hours a day of stretching, and now he's a new man. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But, but getting that parasympathetic balance, getting that relaxation balance back in, incredible. Well, and that's. Well, yeah, it was a great book. That sounds <laughs> really interesting. We're going to have to pick that one up um, because, yeah, that's the trick. A lot of people think that you can push through a lot. I, I've done really, um, on reflection, probably pretty stupid things just through mental sh- and sheer force of will. Mm. But it doesn't mean that your body is anyway prepared or okay with you doing that and it will tell you eventually whether it's the very next day after that marathon that you didn't prep for and now you can't walk for three weeks because you tore something or whatnot yeah uh, or it's a lifetime later like it's you know 30 years later yeah oh by the way buddy (laughs) we didn't like that in in my first generation what i'll call my my what I do, I always find it hard to put a put a word on what I do or a phrase on what I do. I eventually came to the conclusion that it was health performance was what I used to teach, which was pretty much putting your body in an optimal healthy state. But then what I realized after years of doing that was that's great, but still nice to be able to go and do that crazy stuff, right? Yes. So 
if you can put your body in a healthy state first and then go and do that, then you'll challenge your body and your mind and you'll be in a literally a fit state to to be able to do those things and come out of them in one piece yeah. and still be able to tell the story to your great grandkids when you're 70. Like that's what I want to do when I'm 70 and 80 and be say, Hey, I did some really cool stuff when I was younger. Like I ran this marathon. I didn't train. I climbed this mountain. I used to jump in this ice, like whatever it was. I want to be able to tell those stories, but still be able to do cool stuff when I'm 80 and 90 and maybe even hundred years old. And that's where, where I used to say as well. Um, so that, that's what I call the health performance. And, and the way I coach it, which which I love, and this is why I really wanted to get on your podcast, because you say empowering you to be your own health hero. That was a phrase that I used up until recently where I switched over and, and kind of redid my brand because that's what I really wanted people to become is, and that's what I mean by it is, is become your own hero. Like no doctor could have saved my life. It was only my own training. I've worked with people with you know, back injuries and, and, and cardiovascular disease and diabetes and anxiety and and mental illness and the whole spectrum i'm like get yourself in do everything you can take total responsibility for you and then let the cards fall where they fall absolutely agree like i was hospitalized for a long shot when i was 16 and then that you know we were a very healthy family as it was but that started a true passion for the education behind that because I was going to specialists and nobody could figure out what was wrong. It was like, your heart's doing this, your liver's doing that, all sorts of mixed uh, messages. So it's really, our practice is about educating our clients. They don't have to know how to coach other people. They have to know how to manage their own well-being and their own health. And a lot of that comes with tuning into the system. And to your point, once you have those bases there and once you have that awareness and that sensation, you know when you can push and go do that slightly crazy thing. Like yeah. You know when you'll be fine to do that. It, it becomes, as much as this word is a little bit overused these days, uh, or not overused, but it has built up, it does become intuitive. Because very well connect, you're very well connected with your body. You know what you do to take care of your system. You know where your triggers or whatnot lie, and you kind of know when you're. You can feel and know when your push can take place. That for me is is what I now call innate strength. Yeah, and that's why I rebranded that and, and reworked that because it, it's knowing yourself, knowing your mind, knowing your body, and then and then being able to go do that really cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So what is your daily non-negotiable self-care tool or habits? I don't have one. I don't, I genuinely do not have one, which I know I've listened to your podcast and I was like, okay, I'm just going to complain and say, I, I don't have it. Um, the reason why I don't, I have gone through phases and this is again, the importance of getting to know your body, I think in your life where I've gone through phases where you, you've you've got to it's almost like you've you've got to do the system in order to break through the system um so i've done everything from i've done daily habits of and morning habits of breathing of meditation of flexibility of strength work i've done it of tai chi work of yoga work i've done it of gratefulness and journaling i've done it of taking a record of my finances which can be very stressful for people who decide to bury their head in the sand about their finances right it can be one of the most empowering things. So I've done a lot of that. Where where I'm at now is I'm not personally, I'm not working on any one weakness. What I'm working on is integration. So what that means at the moment, what I'm working on with myself is is 
periodizing my life and been able to go with the flow of it. And so when I wake up in the morning, I do have time to myself. Um, but what I choose to do with that time varies from, you know, everything from giving my wife a hug to playing with my kids to checking my finances, if that's what I need to do, to doing a breathing session, to getting a cold shower, to getting a hot shower. But my point is, is that I've trained all of these aspects. Now I've got a huge big toolbox to choose from. And now I pick the tools that I need to use. So Leo, your daily self-care tool is that you make time for yourself every day. There you go, buddy. A <laughs> number of people who don't even do that, they just start and they go for others or go for something else is huge. Yeah. Yep. So, so there's... There's a great takeaway. <laughs> True. It doesn't matter what tool you use because I changed mine. I mean, I've got a few key ones that I'm working on right now, new practices, but like we change ours frequently. And whether it's a work day or versus a, a travel or Saturday, it'll change. But to your point, time for yourself and then vary the tools is obviously. Yeah, I, I definitely take time to myself. And I'd say more than if you're, if you're new to all of this stuff, I'd say test them first, you know, give it, give it time. Do pick one, be disciplined about your approach, and then you can then you can go formless with it. Absolutely. And so if you had five minutes with someone, what one thing could you impart on them to help them with their health? I would give them a big hug and I would say, what do you feel like doing? Genuinely. Like, what do you genuinely feel like doing? Some people don't connect with breath. Some people don't connect with training. But like I've told people, like whatever relieves the pain of your life is the number one thing you should do if you are in pain in your life. And then as you continue to want to get better and better and better, you will find those things. Certainly breathing and movement, whatever form, will transform your whole physiology and psychology like there's no tomorrow. I haven't found anything more powerful. In fact, there's one more thing, which is getting out into nature is powerful again. And then connection is powerful again. So I know I'm saying everything here. And that's why I'm like, I would give them a hug because that what I'm saying to them is, hey, I really care. And come on, I'm here with you. And then what I'd say is, what do you want to do? Because if they do something that they really want to do, that they've been dying to do, and if I can facilitate that thing, whether it's a positive thing or a negative thing but it's something they really want to do i'm like let's make that time for you do something you love and that's what's most important to me yeah so you would so you would take them out into the woods and hug them yeah there. <laughs> everybody needs more hugs right we say oxytocin not oxycotton yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> And, and and finally, Leo, where can people find you? Hi, so I actually just redeveloped my whole platform. So uh, www.innate-strength.com. So innate-strength.com is my website. And then I'm on social media platforms. I'm, I'm transferring over from that whole, a lot of my work had been doing one-to-one. And now I want to get more into groups and more into kind of, the bigger picture of the health and fitness industry too, because I think that potential is there now. So that's the platform that I'm going to start to use to, uh, to grow that. Yeah. Fantastic. And we'll link both of those in and can people do online coaching with you if they're from a different country? 
Even though I don't advertise it, yes. I'm okay. in the middle of developing a online platform for my training. I don't, again, I look at the whole person when I'm training. So there's, there's breathing, there's personal development, there's uh, training itself. There's, and when I say that, there can be, even if your goals are fat loss, I don't care whether it's muscle gain or whether it's get stronger, or whether it's be more athletic. There, I, I take it in a structured way from, from the bottom up because I want to develop the, the full person. So mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of developing that, but in the meantime, I'm, I am doing consultations in it and I'm working with a few people online one-to-one, but I haven't advertised it. So you won't, you won't see it there, so you'll only get this from this podcast. I was just going to say that. This long. <laughs> I'm like, well, you've advertised it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, out there. We'll put it in the show <laughs> it's the podcast special yeah. well, Leah, thank you so much for tuning in we really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your experience i think there are a lot of really great takeaways for people um and we look forward to seeing where you go with this further because it's just been an absolute pleasure to chat and to also just see the message that you're putting out there awesome and well done to you guys for this platform it's really cool i've listened to a lot of the other people that you've had on and i've really enjoyed those podcasts too it's awesome well worth oh. conversations well worth having fantastic thank you we appreciate that very much leo all right thank you so much for stopping by the podcast and uh we'll uh well we'll uh, see everyone again on the next episode of the move deli health podcast see you later see ya. we hope you enjoyed our conversation to hear more head on over to stitcher or itunes and subscribe to the move daily health podcast and don't hesitate to leave us a review thanks for listening